I'm Andrea, and I believe that women have the answers, that when we come together, we can create great things. So I've created this space for women to share their stories that unite and connect us. You're listening to Our Story Speaks. Welcome, friends, and thank you for coming back. I hope you're doing well and taking good care. I want to tell you about a new self-care bonus series that I started this past Sunday. In this series, I speak with women who are passionate and knowledgeable about different ways of practicing meaningful self-care. These are short and sweet, laced with tangible self-care tips and ideas. It's a great way to get new information and learn how other women are taking care of themselves. New episodes release on Sundays. Today you'll hear my conversation with Leanne. She shares her story of moving through a traumatic and life-threatening illness and how her rock-bottom moment spurred a passion to create her own story. Leanne is an author, coach, mother, and a woman doing her best to live life to the fullest. Hi, Leanne. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, but here we are finally on a Sunday morning able to sit down together over the computer and um, yeah, learn more about you. So please share with my listeners a little bit about yourself and tell us who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, So thank you again for having me. My name is Leanne, obviously, and um, I'm an author, I'm a speaker, and I'm a coach. So I live up in Seattle, and um, I've been here about 14 years. We moved from Canada uh, when my youngest was not yet born. So it's been a very long journey of just, you know, kind of acclimating to our new space and then, you know, constantly finding our way um, Mm -hmm. in a different country and, you know, with different people in different systems. So it's, it's been learning nonstop. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're in Washington now and you're from Canada. Yeah. Uh, Have you, what would, would you say are the biggest differences? Uh, you know, they're subtle because the countries are so close together, but raising children here is a very different experience. And I don't know if Washington is, you know, uniquely different, but um, there's just a lot of international people here. So the flavor is very diverse, Mm. you know, and so we have just inputs from so many different cultures and so many different areas that it really has spawned this whole love of global cultures and exploration. Um, And it's just fueled a lot of, you know, the food that we eat and the conversations that we have and the issues that we support and the politics we believe in, even though we can't vote here, um, it very much fuels the people that we have become. So it's this fascinating blend of, you know, the old world of how I grew up to how I'm seeing my children grow up with the different opportunities and the different landscapes of life. It's, It's been interesting for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I actually feel that way a lot about, uh, I'm from Chicagoland area. And so Mm. that was wildly different than living in Oregon. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually having the reverse experience of you with the lack of culture and (laughs) diversity, but I can um, see that. Yeah. Oregon's, yeah. Oregon's not super diverse. And so, yeah. What a wonderful experience for you to have. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fascinating. Because mm-hmm. even, I mean, I'm from Toronto, so it's a hugely diverse city, but you can get into your own pocket of space and it really doesn't allow for a lot of, you know, 
kind of the cross-cultural stuff if you don't want it to be. You can stay very closed or you can stay very open. But here I feel like in Seattle, it just is easier to blend into the different cultures because it's a little bit more open overall. Anyway, it's just this fascinating thing. Yeah, perfect. So please, let's um, dive into your story. Share with our listeners how you um, arrived at the place you're at today. Yeah, definitely. So as I mentioned, we moved from Canada down to Seattle and my husband had been hired to work for a big tent company here, which was great. So we packed up um, our two little kids and we moved down to Seattle and we had just found a house. We had just gotten settled and I was five months pregnant and he needed to go to California for a business trip. And I said, that's totally fine. We've got this. So he left for a week. And in the middle of the week, I was just extremely tired. Being five months pregnant, I didn't think anything of it because of course you get tired, right? So it was 7.30 and I was tucking um, my son who was four and my daughter who was two into bed. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to bed too. So the three of us crawled into a bed together and we fell asleep. And at some point in the middle of the night, I had to go to the bathroom. And so I woke up and I kind of climbed over them and I had just put my feet on the floor and I blacked out. Mm. So I fell on the floor and I had never blacked out before, but what had happened for me in this moment was that I quickly regained consciousness, but I actually couldn't move. So I thought it would just take a moment for my body to catch up with my brain, but it actually didn't happen. I had fallen around two in the morning and I couldn't wow. move until seven. Oh my goodness. So for five hours, I lay on my belly, on the floor, unable to move, completely frozen. And I went through every emotion you can imagine, right? Just kind of terror and fear and then I started asking for help and begging for help. I didn't want to make any noise and wake them up because I didn't want to frighten them. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, I was screaming to the universe to get me off the floor. Yeah, and absolutely. It was just, it was terrifying on a million levels, right? I was lying on the baby. All I could think of was, you know, am I crushing this little fetus? You know, I, I couldn't do anything to stop it. I couldn't do anything to get off of the position that I had just happened to fall on. Um, I was afraid my kids were going to wake up. I was afraid I was dying. Like the whole thing was an absolute, it couldn't have been a bigger nightmare. Yeah. And then somewhere around seven, just, I started to get hot. Like I flooded with hot, what I would imagine a hot flash to be, but I've, I haven't had one yet. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't actually know, but it was just, I burned from the inside. Things started to spin. Um, I had these, you know, neon pink flashes going through my eyes. Like it just, it was a, it was an episode of something, but I could move. Yeah. So I got up, I cleaned myself up and I got dressed and I woke up the kids and I put them in the van and I drove to the hospital Yeah. because I just thought, oh my God, some, I need to check on this baby. Um, it didn't occur to me to call 911. It didn't occur to, I didn't know any neighbors because we had just moved here, but it didn't occur to me to call anybody and say, what would you do? Right. <laughs> I just did what I knew, which was get to a hospital. Mm -hmm. And that set off 
an eight-month exploration into what this could have been. New symptoms cropped up all the way through the pregnancy, after the pregnancy. Um, the baby was born in July. Michael was born healthy and fine. And for that, I would, will be eternally grateful, right? I mean, that was just my biggest fear. Even when they said the baby was fine, I didn't believe them. But once he was born, the testing intensified and they were really tossing me from specialist to specialist. You know, could it be something with your heart? So go to this cardiologist. Could it be that you have an autoimmune disease? Go over there. Um, do you have something like MS? Go over there. Is it just migraines? Go over there. So it was really this very busy period of not only dealing with being pregnant, giving birth, postpartum, but also now this extra layer of neurological confusion. And it was hard. It was hard. It was just <laughs> 2006 will go down as the hardest year ever. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But in November, they called me back. It was um, a week before my birthday. And that year, my birthday fell on American Thanksgiving. So this was our first American Thanksgiving. It was my birthday. It felt like a really big deal. And I went to the hospital and the doctors just had all of my scans up on the light boxes. So they had my brain scans and they had all of my test results on the tables, like my echocardiograms and all of my blood work and all the things. And they talked a lot about things I didn't understand. And at the end of it, they really just stared at me deeply and said, look, we don't know what it is. You know, we don't know what you have. We don't know why these things keep happening. But based on everything we've seen, we know it's going to kill you. Wow. And I was like, when? Yeah. Five years. Oh, my God. So November 17th, 2006, I was given five years to live. And I didn't even know how to process it. And the first things I said were, you know, that can't be right. My birthday is on Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know, are you telling me I have four birthdays left after next Thursday? You know, well, I only have four more Thanksgivings with them. I was a hot mess and I didn't quite wrap my head around it, but I left with a pack of prescriptions because they just felt like, you know what, if this is something in the world of epilepsy, you should try these. And if it's in the world of this, you should try that. And you should try these injections and take these tablets. And I just left there heavy hearted and so discouraged of all things, you know, and to get in the car and drive back home. And I walked in my house and the three little ones just came running and cheering that I was home. I just, I cracked and I cried and I hugged them and I tried to pretend like I was laughing, but thank goodness they were young, right? Thank goodness they were five, three, and four months old. <laughs> um, because I really, I was not good at hiding it. Yeah. And so then that became life. I just became sicker over the next couple of years. I was doing all the things, taking the medications, doing the treatments. You know, some of them were regular things you would expect. Some of them were pretty radical. I was open to anything because I just wanted to live. Yeah. And then absolutely. Probably three years into this, 
I'm watching the calendar every day. I'm recording every new symptom that pops up. And my mother-in-law was brought down from Canada to help me because I just, I was not cooking well. I was not functioning well. I was very sick. I was zoned out much of the day. Like it was a super dark time. Mm-hmm. And so my husband asked his mom to come down and help us. So she came and she was very amazing at cooking and cleaning and doing all the things, you know, that we do as women in our own lives, but I just had lost the capacity to do. Yeah. And she had watched a couple of interactions where I was not well. I was unhealthy and I was confused and I was disoriented and out of the very goodness of her heart, she really was just trying to reassure me in this conversation that if anything continued to get worse for me, she would step in, you know, she would help out. Yeah. But Um. I heard it as Leanne, you're failing as a mother, you're failing as a person. Mm. And I will come and rescue and take care of your children because you can't. Mm. And that was just really hard to hear. Yeah. When I heard her say that I shouldn't worry, she would raise the kids, even though it was out of love, even though it was out of consideration and compassion, I just, something snapped, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, there's nothing else I can say. Just something in my brain snapped. And I went for a walk in my neighborhood and I live at the bottom of a hill. And so I just remember huffing and puffing my way up the hill. And I was screaming into the air. And my neighbors were like, <laughs> is she okay? Yeah. And I'm having this major meltdown and I'm talking and I'm yelling and I'm swearing and I'm puffing and I'm hot and I'm dizzy and I'm stressing and I'm struggling up this hill. It must have been quite a sight. (laughs) But what I realized in that conversation was, this isn't how it's going to end. This isn't how my life is going to be. You know, they don't know that November of 2011 is really when I'm going to die. They don't know that, right? So what do I have to do to make them wrong? Right. And... I did self-care like a boss. I started sleeping around the clock. I ate the very best foods I could find. Mm -hmm. I didn't clean. I didn't do extraneous things. I didn't sign up for playground duty and, you know, school auction committees. I did nothing. I stopped everything And I made the commitment to our, to my kids that I would do one thing a day and it needed to be fun. (laughs) So we did one thing a day. If that was Legos, if that was baking cupcakes, it might've taken us five hours to bake 12 cupcakes, right? It it would have taken me forever to find a recipe, figure out where, where do all these things live? Like, where do you find flour in a person's kitchen? I didn't know because I couldn't remember anything. Oh my. We made games out of everything. Like where did mommy put the diaper cream? And <laughs> and potty training the little one was a team effort, right? Because I said, you know what? Every time Michael uses the potty, 
you both get jelly beans. <laughs> they were on it like you couldn't believe. Like they were just singing and dancing and playing songs and, you know, getting musical instruments and cheering him on. He was potty trained in half a day. Like wow. they, had, they were so, I mean, we went through a jug of jelly beans, but they were on it and motivated. And that was all I could do to get through, right? And I think that was the period in time in which I realized that when I decide what I need and I commit to doing that, mm -hmm. the world is a different place, right? Yeah. Because when we stop buying into what we think we should be doing and what the expectation is, my husband had expectations that there would be dinner ready at night and that the house would get cleaned and, you know, there would be wifely things happening. Yeah. And I just shattered them all. I'm like, right. no, no, my life is more important than doing these dishes. And I don't care if we spend a thousand dollars buying paper dishes. I'm not washing dishes. I don't care. So you can either do them or we can find a different solution. But until I feel strong and capable and ready to face the world in this new way, I can't do it. Wow. I love that. I love that you, I just, I just want to talk about this moment that you had where you were like screaming and it, it I mean, that is so familiar, I think to mm. that, that crosses all kinds of things where people are just like, I am done. I am yeah. not going to let this be the end of my story. This is not how it ends. I'm going to take charge of this and ownership yeah. over my own body, over my own life. Yeah. I just love, like, I have such a beautiful vision in my mind of you being in the middle of the street, just being like, <laughs> no, you know, I think, yeah. I think for anyone who has struggled and survived, we understand that moment. It is like your rock bottom, mm. bare bones, yeah. most open, vulnerable moment where you are just like, this is not okay. Yeah. It's not going to go this way. You know, and you're so, absolutely right. I love I, that. <laughs> yeah. No, it was huge. And I think, you know, everybody has struggled with something. It doesn't have to be a life and death situation. You don't have to be on the front lines of, you know, death and destruction to really have these moments where the universe calls to you to decide who you are. Right. Right. In that moment, I decided who I was, and it wasn't a sick, dying, pathetic, stuck on the floor, confused, disoriented failure of a mother, right? To me, I decided in that moment that I would be everything I ever dreamed I could be, even if it was for two more years, right? So I didn't decide at that moment that I wasn't dying in two years, but I definitely chose for every moment that I get to be here, yeah. who do I get to be in this moment? Yeah. Right. Because frankly, none of us know when we're going to die, but most people think it's in a very long time, right? right? right. Most mm -hmm. people don't wake up with the feeling is today the day, you know, they don't get a new headache and think, oh shoot, is this what does me in? Is this the moment that I've been waiting for? Right. They don't live in that, you know, on the edge of crisis. But we all know that time is finite, but we don't feel courageous and we don't feel like we have enough power in ourselves to proclaim and declare, this is my life. And I think with my life on the line, I 
stop tolerating everything I had put up with in my whole life, my own lies, other mm -hmm. people's expect, like the whole thing just crumbled in that conversation. And I mean, of course, I wish it had happened sooner, but it couldn't have, right? right. It had to be that moment where just enough raindrops fell to create the puddle that I had to splash in, right? So many of us live our whole lives just with these raindrops trickling down our, the lies or the, you know, the failures or the mistakes or the regrets, like all of those raindrops just kind of keep the cloud in our life. But when the puddle gets big enough, you can actually jump in it and displace all of that water. Mm -hmm. And that to me was that moment of just putting on the boots and jumping in and saying, uh-uh, this is not, this is not my life. This is not how my death is going to be. This is not the legacy that I am leaving for those three children that mm -hmm. they watch their mother wither and die. Yeah, mm -hmm. No, there's no withering. There's, I'm, you know, I'm a yeah. fiery redhead. I am not withering anymore. Um, so that yeah. was, it was a profound day. Yeah. Yeah. So then what happened? So after I decided that I was going to live differently and I really pulled out all of the things that I didn't want in my life and I really planted all of the things I did, I wanted to take pictures of my kids. I wanted to document the things that we loved. I wanted to learn new things all the time, right? I wanted to be open and just soak in what life had to give, what life had to offer. Because I thought before that I was living and there was no way I was living, right? When I look at what I was after my brain crash and before, I, I'm not even the same person, right? I was pressed so hard, living so fast, I missed all the great things. And so it really, it changed everything for me in terms of who I am, how I became the mom that I really needed to be for my kids and the lessons that I wanted them to learn about life. So they did it differently. Mm -hmm. And I think if that is my biggest, um, if that is my biggest badge of honor in this whole thing, above all the things I've done for myself, is that I, I really broke generational chains of you know, conflicts within my own self about self-esteem and my worth and you know, what worlds can provide for me. All of that was correct with me because my children had a very different life than I had. Mm -hmm. And so if that's what it took to teach them that really life is for living, I would probably, I would do it again for sure. I wouldn't probably, I would definitely do it again because it changed everything. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> One of my favorite um, quotes is that life is happening for us and not to us. Yeah. And so I often think that when people are really in the midst of something hard, like super hard, you don't want to think that this is happening for me. Like where's the... Right where is the lesson here? Where's the growth here? Because yeah. you're so in the midst of it and it's hard to see in those moments. But it sounds like you were able to make a shift in your mindset, a profound shift mm. that invited all of these gifts 
And so even though your diagnosis hadn't changed, you had changed tremendously. Right. I mean, that's beautiful. Like you said, it's a gift that you would do again, (laughs) even if it was like, you still only have two years. Yeah. Those two years were going to matter. Oh my gosh. They mattered so very much. And you're absolutely right. I think part of why we don't embrace that quote fully until we've kind of walked through that dark night of the soul Mm -hmm. is because the pain is so profound. Yes. And if you would have come to me when, you know, I couldn't open a cheese string for my daughter and I couldn't find where I put the diapers and I forgot that we ran out of food again and I didn't know how to get to the store. I didn't know how to walk to, you know, I didn't know how to call somebody for help. In that moment when I was on the floor sobbing and literally begging for divine intervention, if you had come to me and said, hey, Leanne, don't worry. This is happening for you, my love. Yeah. You know, I would have, I would have taken that cleaver and chopped you into bits. I would have been so insulted that mm-hmm. you could have thought anything so painful and horrific could have any value other than making me suffer. So the profoundness in the quote that you had just, you know, kind of shared with everybody really only unfolds after you find your way through the storm. Yeah. Because before that, the pain is too profound, right? Talking to a parent who has lost her her child or talking to somebody who has just you know, lost their whole business and the devastation is so raw, but we know, right? People who have gone through those know that, yes, there is blessing in this, in, you know, in this situation, there is a silver lining that you can only see after you get through it. And so it's, it's important to know where the person is in their journey. And if they haven't yet gotten to the other side, they will feel so hurt and betrayed. You know, if I say to someone, oh, don't worry, it's happening for you. Yeah. They, I will lose them as a confidant or a client or as a friend because they haven't yet discovered it for themselves. So it is really the greatest gift of self-discovery mm-hmm. is knowing that you can finally see something, even if it's the tiniest, you know, dust particle of hope or of, shift or transformation that occurred because of that thing, that's when they can embrace the fuller lesson or the fuller blessing, right? So mm-hmm. if you would have told me that before, I would have, ugh, I would yeah. have really hard, pr- I would have probably, oh, I don't know. Absolutely. You're, you're right. absolutely right that um, it does, you do have to get through it or you have to be able to have gotten through most of it. I think at the mm-hmm. tail end, you can start to see that if you are um, invited to, you know, if you are, if you come across a different kind of an opportunity for a mindset. Yeah. Um, but, but I once do you think, get there, it's yeah. glorious, right? I it mean, is glorious. Know, it's yes. cool. And you just, you can't explain it beforehand. You don't believe it. And then you see it and you're like, oh my gosh. Yes. That's amazing, right? The rainbow and the storm. Yeah. It just takes your breath away. It does. And one of my other favorite quotes is that there is no comfort in the growth place and there's no growth in the comfort place. Mm. 
And so again, it's, that's not something you want to hear when you're in the middle of it, but when you're able to step back and see that these painful, devastating, atrocious situations can often lead to such beautiful growth if you allow it, right? There's so much work involved, the spiritual work involved in that. So much. But when you get there, you realize how much, how many things fall away. It's like you, your metaphor of jumping into the puddle, like so Mm. many things don't matter anymore. And that's like freedom. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, you know, I work with people all the time who will be in these very painful places and they can't find, you know, like just the quote that you had just said, they cannot find the growth. Um, But part of that is part of the growth is redefining what the goal or the, or the destination or the path of your journey is about. Because a lot of times people get very set on saying, I want three children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, seven miscarriages later, they cannot get to the place of even realizing that they could be a mother and there are other ways, right? So sometimes it is about the processing the pain and also being open to new ways to get you where you want to go. Right. And so for me on this journey, one of the things that I had to put in place was a new destination. So I couldn't necessarily change what the doctors had said, but I could make the very most out of what I had and the time that I had with my family. And so I had to shift something. And so for me in particular, the number five became a very um, toxic number. Mm. It felt like I felt like it was mocking me. So if the, if I looked at the clock and it was five fifty five, it was just like, ha ha, Leanne, you know, reminder, you're dying. Or if I was driving somewhere and the speed limit turned to fifty five miles an hour, like it was everywhere on a receipt at a grocery store. Like the f- number five just became. It. I almost possibly develop some sort of, sort of like fear of the number five. I don't even know if that's a thing, but it was just everywhere. And mm. I felt like it was going to crush me. So I had to change it. And I could have continued down that path and really just started shutting out, you know, that I'm not driving or I'm not going to the grocery store. Or I'm not looking at clocks, <laughs> but instead I turned it around and I said, you know what universe, you can't scare me anymore you don't hold that kind of power over me. So I am going to take that number five and I'm going to make it be the biggest blessings of my life. So the first thing I did was tell my husband, like to his absolute shock, that I wanted to visit 50 countries before I turned 50. Wow. In my mind, I thought, first of all, that gives me a goal very, very far past my five-year expiration date. But it also gives me an opportunity to give something that I really love to my kids, right? Which is these shared memories and these rituals of connection. And I knew that I wasn't going to live long enough to give them the world, but I could try to show them the world. Mm. So we started our big journey and our big, fat, expensive journey took over all of our trips. If my husband said, you know, why don't we go down to San Diego, you know, for the Christmas break? I would say, what? <laughs> no, <laughs> we're going to the Philippines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, 
you know, he has been amazing and we have had to sacrifice, right? Other compromises in our family have had to be made so that I could, you know, pursue this dream. But I think at the beginning, it really was a lifeline so that when I saw the number five, I was like not paralyzed and not feeling mocked that my life was ending. Mm-hmm. But I thought in, you know, how can I feel inspired? What can I see that's around this sign to kind of give me a clue where else we can go in the world? You know, so then I would see something, you know, inevitably somebody would be wearing like an FC Barcelona, you know, soccer jersey. I'm like, oh, I'm taking the kids to Spain, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it became this crazy way that I learned to navigate the world, you know, my medical world, to really open up all of these possibilities. So in January, you know, 14 years after my first brain crash, we hit country 49. Wow. Right? That's amazing. I know. And <laughs> this summer would have been country 50. With, wow. You know, what's going on in the world right now, that's not going to happen, but I don't turn 50 this year, right? So I still have until November, 2021. Wow. I'm, I have no doubt we'll get there. Yeah. But if I had stayed looking at the number five as my limiting belief, right? That they were right. Yeah. I wouldn't have set such an audacious goal. I wouldn't have said to my husband, yes, you know what? Actually, let's travel to travel to Bulgaria where the medical system is not quite what we're used to, where people don't speak the language, where if I have a brain crash, I might die. But yeah, I totally think that's a great idea. <laughs> right. I wouldn't have, but I'm like, no, the goal and my passion for living and cramming it all in is bigger than my medical condition. Mm-hmm. And so off the bags were packed and, you know, the planes were boarded. So it's been a phenomenal gift. And I would have never done that had I not gotten sick. I would have been like, no, we'll wait till the kids are through college and we'll retire and then we'll go travel. Right. Well, how many people don't get that chance, right? Mm-hmm. Millions, actually. Millions don't, don't get the opportunity to pursue their dreams. So by putting it first and foremost in our lives, I deliberately made choices to make it happen. And I think that was a pretty profound gift to give to not only my kids, but my, the people in my network, my friends and my family that look at me and think, my God, if she can do it, imagine what I can do. Right. You know, I have more money. I can travel solo or I can start this business. I can write this book. My God, if Leanne can do it. Right. So it just, you know, being a light in the world allows other people to use your light to shine into the dark recesses of their dreams. Mm-hmm. Say, you know what? Maybe I can try. Maybe I can try to take that dance class that, you know, my mother never let me take when I was six, but I'm going to go now at 54 years old and learn how to dance. And why not? Right? The dream didn't die. So um, it's just given people permission to pursue things that have always lived in the recesses of their hearts, or maybe find brand new things that they didn't even think of before, but they're willing to take the risk. And not that there aren't downsides to taking risks because big risks bring big losses or big struggles or big doubts and big, you know, obstacles, but that's not the end of the road, right? I think that becomes the motto. Like this isn't how it ends. 
Right. So you figure it out. You shift the kaleidoscope. You twist a little bit more. You ask different people. You read different things. You listen to different podcasts. You, you know, you just sit and be with yourself for a moment and think, how can I shift? Mm -hmm. And do I want to shift? Like, am I willing to do the work it takes to get me where I say I want to go? Sometimes the answer is no. Right? Sometimes the answer is actually, I don't want to work that hard. I don't want to get that vulnerable. I don't want to think about that, you know, the, the time of trauma in my childhood. I'm not ready or I'm not willing to open up that can of worms. But you consciously decide it, right? Mm -hmm. So you say, I'm not willing to do the work and I'm okay with it. And yeah. that, there's power in that too, right? Just confronting the things that hold you back and deciding, do I hold on to this and carry this boulder in my knapsack again? Do I keep it in there or am I willing to put it down and see how I feel without carrying those regrets and those points of shame or those failed relationships? Am I willing to put it down for a moment and see what it feels like to be free? Wow, that is so beautiful. I love this story. This is amazing. It's like you stopped you're not, you stopped being the victim and you became the creator. And in that very moment, it's like you became the most powerful being in your universe. You became the creator of your life. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I get stuck sometimes, you know, I definitely get stuck feeling like I am still the victim, right? I will get sick. I will have a neurological setback. I will take an experimental drug protocol and I will feel like hell. You know, I will feel mm -hmm. awful and, and sick and depressed. And, and then I decide again, right? So everything in my world is, is this who I want to be? Is this the life I want to live? Is this the legacy I want to leave? And if that's no, then I stop doing the thing, right? I stop taking the drugs. And my neurologist is often very concerned. <laughs> and he'll say, Leanne, look at the scans. Like, and I said, you know what the scans don't show you? The scans don't show you how alive I feel when right. I get up in the morning and I don't have this poison in my blood. The scans don't show you how inspired I feel when I work with a client who has a breakthrough or I teach my children how to stand up for themselves and I let them, right? We all want our children to go out into the world and be strong characters, but we actually don't nurture that in our family because we often shut them down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm like, no, 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 go on, right? Like take this argument as far as you can take it. Let's see where it goes. And the parents I work with are shocked and they're like, no, 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 I'll lose control. No, you won't. You're teaching them how to fly, right? Mm -hmm. You can't just push them out of the nest at some point and say, okay, I've told you how to fly your whole life. Now go do it. No, you have to let them fly. And yeah, they might fall and yeah, they might, you know, scratch their wings. It doesn't mean that you stop letting them fly. So it's just been a philosophy that has changed you know, my parenting, my relationships with my husband and my family of origin, the people I work with, the people who want to work with me. Mm -hmm. it, I don't even know who I was before anymore. It's been such a transformation. And that is, is the most treasured 
milestone in this life that I've lived is that day that I huffed and puffed up that hill and I just laid it all out. Yeah. So you've written some books about this experience. Yeah, no, actually funny. I haven't. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I know. <laughs> so fascinating now that you even say it that way. I think, no, I haven't written that book at all. Um, what I did write, no, I do have books. What I did do is I put how I do things into this system. So in one of these darker periods, in one of these very sad, small, cold, isolated moments of my life, I really struggled with being a terrible mom. I just felt like I am fighting with them all the time. Yeah. I only have three, you know, three years, 12 days and 14 hours left with them. And I'm yelling at them again. Like, that's not who I want to be for them. That's not the legacy I want to leave. And so I was really down and like a fire hose being turned on, this idea just flooded through me. And I was in Toronto at the time. I was visiting my sister. She was at work. I was in the house alone. And this idea just flooded through me and I just got a pen and I write it. I'm sorry. I started to write so tiny in this book because I just felt like I had thousands of words to write and I didn't want to run out of room. So I wrote itty bitty bitty in this book. <laughs> and um, I was outlining a system of how to be in relationship with someone else. And for me at the time, it was in relationship with my kids. Mm -hmm. And it just presented itself as this season analogy. So winter was this time of deep disconnection, of fighting, of, you know, snarkiness, of silent treatments and slamming doors. Spring was a time where you got to clean up the mess from winter and plant new seeds, you know, clear away the winter damage and the debris and start fresh, plant the things that you want to grow in summer. And then summer was when you could really start to enjoy all the beautifulness of the relationship. And sometimes what happens in summer is that we coast along and we're like, this is great. Everything's awesome. And we don't notice little weeds popping up or little, you know, pests coming into the garden. And it might be a hurt feeling, or it might be that they ask you a question and you bark a response to them and they feel a little bit slighted or a little bit hurt. And that's fall, right? When we introduce something cold and slippery that leads us back to winter. And then the fifth season, which was super clear to me on that day was called the crossroads. And it was just the moment when they ask the question, you know, do you kind of answer quickly or say, that's a dumb question. Why would you ask something so silly? Or, you know, do you go to winter in the interaction or do you say, oh, that's such a good question, knowing that they've asked it 10 times already and you still answer it with love and that takes you back to summer. So the crossroads really was a decision point where you choose, how do you want this to end? Right? Do you want it to end in winter and someone crying and slamming doors and you taking their phone away and grounding them for a week and just going into that deep hole? 
Or do you want to build another bridge to connection and say, that's such a great idea that you're asking about, you know, condensation. Why don't we test that by, you know, hot, cold kettles, freezers, whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I came back home and I started working with my kids in this framework and it just, it changed everything. I became a completely different mother having a system that helped me with every interaction. And trust me, by that time, I had tweens. And now I have three teenagers. One of them is 18, one of them is 16, and one of them is 13. And I would never have been able to get through parenting three teenagers with the personalities that they have. They have huge personalities. Um, if I didn't have this system, I think I would have either run away or... <laughs> one of them would have, right. <laughs> like it would have, it would have fallen into total disarray. And so the first book was about that. The first book is um, the five seasons of connection to your children mm. or to your child. And it really is outlining this framework and understanding your child in a way that makes it different than just your way or their way. It's understanding their love language and their temperament. It's understanding what they value and you know the currency that they see at various stages in their life. And it's a way of creating a family value system and family goals. So I noticed as we were traveling that one of my kids was not interested in the kind of hardcore budget traveling that we sometimes need to do to make it across the world with five people right? Mm -hmm. We cannot stay in fantastic places all the time. This can still be fantastic, but it was, there were some pretty hit and miss places. And um, my one child was like, this is not fun for me. So I know that, right? And instead of saying, you just suck it up and make my dreams come true. It's like, okay, you know what, actually, we're going to plan another trip like this. You're old enough. Do you want to come with us or can I offer you this alternative where you go stay with your grandmother or you stay with friends or you stay with, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I honor who she is and I give her the option because she is in control of her choices, right? And yes, there's obviously still parenting involved, but it's much more a partnership than a hierarchical situation. And for me, I mean, I, you know, we're all thriving because I want them at any point to be able to live their life. If I died, you know, five years ago, if I died in 2011, when I was kind of, you know, scheduled to, or if I die in 30 years, I want right. to know that they have what it takes to fly. Mm -hmm. I want them to know that they can fly on their own. So I've given them incredible decision-making power within limits of their age and their abilities, of course but they're very practiced and I want them to make their mistakes with me, mm -hmm. right? I don't want them to go out into college and make their first huge mistake and it be something that they can't take back and really impacts their entire future. Mm -hmm. so, um, so it's changed the parent that I am. And the next book I wrote was The Five Seasons of Connection to Your Business Brilliance, which really takes this season analogy and puts it in a space for entrepreneurs to know what holds them back and to work through some of the blocks that crop up for them. Like, who are they in winter? You know, they think they suck. They think they are like imposters and they're a fraud and they can't figure anything out and they're not good enough. Okay, if that's where you are, 
then we work, work through the seasons to unpack all of that because your business brilliance is exactly what the world needs right now. Mm -hmm. And so that was book two. Book three is coming out next month and it's the five seasons of connection to your love partner, which really is one of the most profound books that I've written because your love relationship and getting into a long-term relationship with someone is probably the biggest decision you'll ever make. And we often don't think about what we're doing when we make that decision. <laughs> you know, we yeah. don't often think about what is it going to be when the storms come for us? Who do we become in those, in those huge points of conflict? What if we don't believe the same things? And the first time we realize it is when, you know, little Simon wants to wear a skirt at three years old and mom says, that's totally fine. And dad says, uh, no son of mine is going to wear a skirt, right? So really understanding who we are ourselves and then what we are in our relationship together is to me, it feels like a pivotal piece of work um, because so many of us have good relationships with our kids and pretty decent professional relationships. But our secret sadness is that we're not connected to our partners. You know, we're mm -hmm. living in a roommate situation or we're living parallel and very disconnected lives. And that's a secret shame that people carry with them. So um, if this book helps anybody, you know, kind of get to a point of, you know, shared values and shared goals, that would just be a dream. So, yeah. Yeah. So those so, are where I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I love this conversation. Uh, please share with my listeners how they can find your books, how they can find you, where they can sure. learn more about, um, learn more about what you share with the world. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so my books are on Amazon, you know, um, obviously they're there like everybody else's books. So you can find me there or my website is the, um, www.5seasonslife, five like the number, because it will not slow me down, uh, mm. fiveseasonslife.com. And I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm barely on Instagram, but <laughs> I'm there too. So uh, yeah, I would love to connect with people. I think that um, anything I can provide as a way forward or a way through a storm um, or just a dark period is really why I'm Still here. You know, I think, you know, I could have died a thousand times by now and mm -hmm. I haven't. And so for that gift and not that it's transactional, not that I have to keep doing to stay alive, but for that gift, I feel honored to have the opportunity to just, you know, be a flicker of light for anybody else, really anywhere in the world. Um, to just carry on their journey with what they say is in their heart to do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it has just been um, an honor and a pleasure to be given that gift of lighting the way for some people. And if I can do that for anyone else, obviously that is, you know, that is my jam, right? Yeah. <laughs> let me, let me add it. Let me add them. Perfect. Uh, well, thank you so much. I will make sure all your contact information's in our show notes. Uh, but I would yeah. just like to end today with um, two last questions. Uh, right now is we're recording in May, early May, mm -hmm. and uh, we're in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. And so I would love to ask you what you're doing to um, take care of yourself 
and to stay sane uh, during the midst of all of this, um, this deadly, scary, um, upsetting time that we're living in. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's, we've never seen anything like it. And, you know, hope willing, we'll never see anything like it again. But in this moment, at this time, I think the two things that have risen up for me have been really pragmatic. So one of them is boundaries. Like, mm. what are my personal boundaries? What are my family's boundaries? What are my love relationship boundaries? What are my business boundaries? So just being very clear so that I don't give it all away. I mean, many of us are people pleasers by nature, either by, you know, dysfunctional family training or through just the goodness of our hearts. But at times like these, at times, at any times, but especially times like these, understanding your boundaries and knowing how you refill your own cup is critical. Like nobody's getting massages and manicures right now. So what are you believing to be the strongest sources of self-care and putting boundaries around those. Like if it mm. is two hours of quiet time a day, then you put a sign on your door. You let your kids watch, you know, the Disney plus channel forever. You, you know, you ask your husband to, you know, respect the fact that you're out in the backyard reading or you put on headphones and you listen to a meditation tape, like whatever it is for you, set a boundary and honor it. Because if you're feeling overwhelmed and, and cracking and irritated and flustered, that is a sign that your boundaries haven't been strong enough to protect you. And so that has just risen up for most of the people in my world right now is teaching them how to set boundaries and how to honor them yourself because we are the first ones to often break our own boundaries. When somebody else crosses a boundary, we know it, right? And we're like, hey, hey, that's not okay with me. But we ourselves cross our own boundaries all the time. And so we have to just put our worth um, a little bit more higher and our protections of ourself higher in our own mind so that we don't give it all away. Yeah, I really appreciate that right now. It's like I really yeah. needed to hear that. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. As I did, right? I just thought, actually, I, you know, as I said it, I thought, oh, Leanne, you know, you just sacrificed your own boundary this morning before this call. You have to go back and fix that. Yeah. Yeah. I love I that. I said yes to somebody when I really wanted to say no. It doesn't fit my life. It and I literally just did it this morning. So me saying it out loud is really a message for myself too, to go back and say, you know what, actually, that doesn't work for me. Can we put it on another day? Thursday is better. Or what, like I, now I have to make a mental note to do that. But we're so easy to cross our own boundaries and it's just natural. Yeah. But just trying to be more intentional about our time and our, and our recovery and our rejuvenation um, is is so important in this kind of a, in this kind of a situation. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's thing, perfect oh, advice. You. And the second thing I would say is checking on your life systems, right? Like what are the things that make your life run? You know, if you have children, do you have chore charts and family meetings? Do you have a meal plan so that you're not getting decision fatigue by four o'clock from the thousands of questions? And you're just like, I don't know what we're doing for dinner. You know, maybe it's pancakes again, which is fine. I mean, we do pancake dinners, but if it's making you feel bad, then I would just recommend people look at the things in their life that can make it easier. So these types of systems 
you know, how do you organize toys? How do you, you know, how do you plan fun? If you aren't having fun in some way with your family or with yourself, put a system in place and decide, you know what, I'm going to time block every day from 2 to 3 p.m. It's my time. I'm going to put on Zuma. I'm going to play my music. I'm going to, you know, braid my hair. I'm going to clean out my closet. Whatever it is that brings you joy, you know, put a system in place to honor that because um, it doesn't need to be this hard, right? We do make it harder and we can choose to make it easier by putting things in place and getting everybody on board with how the new system works for everyone. And so that would be the two things that I think have been the most influential in the past month for sure. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, my last question is what advice would you give your younger self, Leanne? Oh man. So my younger self being like yesterday, I would say, <laughs> you know, um, I think my younger self after 2006 would be, you have time, mm -hmm. you know, you have time and don't waste time, mm. right? So it is that double-edged sword of, I feel a lot of times very panicked that I'm running out of time. So, you know, for example, I did a keynote in Michigan in February before the virus really locked the world down. And when she had asked me to do this keynote, it was a year and a half earlier. And I remember looking at this in 2017 saying, I can't commit to something in 2019, you know, or sorry, I got my dates wrong, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I said, I can't commit to something 18 months away. Like, what if I'm dead? <laughs> right? So I live with this feeling that long-term commitments scare me. Right. And so in my business, I think, well, what do I want to plan to be, you know, two years down the road? And my heart starts fluttering like, oh, don't be ridiculous. But I am here to do all I can as much as I can with what I have. And so I need to just remind my younger self that whenever we're done with this life, then we're done. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, the most profound thing that happened recently was so strangely, it was Kobe Bryant dying. Yeah. And I am not a basketball fan. I don't follow him. I'm not in love with him. I barely knew him as a person. I certainly didn't know his history. But for some reason, what hit me the hardest with that helicopter crash was he had plans. Mm -hmm. You know, he had plans. Yeah. He had things to do. His calendar was packed. But when it was time, you know, and I believe that there's time. So maybe, you know, some people don't believe that, but I do. I believe what, there's a time that your soul just says, this is it. And when, there, when the time comes, you've done all you could. Mm -hmm. But don't wait to be older or wiser or smarter or more capable or more confident or, you know, don't wait for those future times because they might not come. So remove the panic, but keep the commitment, you know, commitment to growth or commitment to, to bettering yourself or digging deeper into the things that you love, finding your passion, 
you know, for people who just wake up and say, oh my God, I found my passion and I've made a million dollars, that rarely happens. Most people are on the path to passion for a very long time, right? So give yourself the grace and space to explore the things that interest you and pique your curiosity. So don't wait for it, but also don't feel like if I don't get it all done, I'm a failure, right? Mm -hmm. If I don't get this done, if I don't launch this thing, if I don't write this book, I, of course I'm a screw up. Right. So there's that just double edged sword. I would probably say to myself, take the edge off of that sword. You know, you have time, but also honor the time. Like don't waste it, but don't be afraid of it. Mm -hmm. And that to me, I think would be what I would need to hear. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I love this conversation. Uh, everyone go check out Leanne's books and check out her website. Uh, there's so much value to be had in this beautiful story and um, the words that you're sharing with all of us today. So thank you so much for um, joining me today. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure. And always I get things out of it. So thank you for the gift of allowing us to share and think of things in a new way. It's I'm so honored and so grateful for you. So thank you again. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. I hope you got some value out of what you heard today. You can find information about upcoming episodes on Facebook and Instagram at Our Story Speaks. You can also email me at OurStorySpeaks2019 at gmail.com. So please send me an email if you have a story to share with other women. You can now listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Anchor. I have excellent guests and topics in stores, so please like, share, and subscribe. Send me your feedback and leave comments. I'd love to hear from you.